I feel like I want to avoid. Is this due to sex addiction and betrayal trauma? Welcome to the Real Talk Recovery Podcast with the Therapy Brothers. We're brothers, we're therapists, and we know recovery. Bring your stories, your questions, your successes with Real Recovery. I want to avoid is this due to sex addiction and betrayal trauma? Rana, this is going to be a good one today. We're going to be talking a lot about attachment theory. Uh, this is something that's always a big topic in recovery. Uh, before we do that, I just want to start with a review that came in. This is another one that came in in response to a past episode and just wanted to share it. This it's titled Monday, October 11th with Valerie. It says, I've been listening to your podcast for over a year, and I listened to the BAE podcast before, and it's been informative and beneficial. However, I've never reviewed or rated any podcast until now. Thank you so much for the, the, all that the two awesome guys you are doing. But I really have to say to Valerie, a huge thank you, and you are so brave. Your story touched the deepest part of my heart. And please know that you are not alone. Your story ran almost identical to mine. And it felt like I was finally completely and totally understood in a world that I felt so isolated in. Your story and the brother's help and guidance has given me hope that I can work on me. And no matter how hard or how painful of that, regardless of my relationship, I can find peace and happiness. That's great. Um, I love how she highlights the guest because the guest is the one really having the courage to come on and open up and share their story and ask the hard questions. So um, Valerie, you really, you really truly did help somebody and, and we appreciate that. Yeah, that's awesome. We appreciate the reviews too. We've had several of those coming towards, you know, people who relate to the things that our guests have brought on. And that's, you're right, Brandon, that's really probably the best part of, I think our show is our guests. Yeah. So, so speaking of great guests, we have Danielle back. Um, so Danielle, welcome back. It's good to have you back. Thank you. I'm so glad to be back. Yeah. I appreciate it. Um, if you want to just, you can give a little bit of background if you want to, and then just let's jump right in, ask away, because I got a feeling we're going to talk about all kinds of, all kinds of parts of this topic. So go ahead, Danielle. Um, so I, um, run meetings with, um, with people with, adults who have children in addiction, but I also help with um, spouses who experience betrayal trauma. And I'm stepping into actually helping out with um, women who struggle with addiction as, as well. Um, my story, you know, I've been in recovery, I think for about five years is what I could say, um, but I've really had uh, my own betrayal trauma story for the last 10 years. And even before that, um, I was raised in a family that struggled with addiction. So I've really been, I've, once I found recovery, it has um, just rewarded me so much. So I'm a little bit, I think I'm odd to talk to. I actually am concerned that I'm a weird person to talk to because I cannot talk like about the weather anymore. I want to talk about people and I want to say like, okay, what's your family like? And then when they say little things, you know, um, it's funny. So I get weird. 
if you're weird because you like to talk about recovery, then you're pretty cool. So uh, uh, that works. And if most of my recovery friends, I think they like me. That's yeah, good. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Right. So um, I'm kind of on here. I'm asking from more of a more of a situation that I didn't identify with. My personal experience was um, so my spouse was 100% avoidant. Um, he was he had a that a couple podcasts you guys have talked about where um, they avoid sex because of they're scared of the intimacy part. So that's what I experienced, but I see most of the time in my groups where um, women are being utilized in, in the addiction, you know, they're, they're feeling objectified by their husbands. Um, and you guys can stop me anytime and correct my wording, <laughs> but um because of that, like when they first get into recovery and they start learning about attachment, you know, uh, that um, addiction is an attachment disorder and they start learning about anxious attachment and avoidant attachment. A lot of these women are feeling like, oh, I'm avoidant attachment because I avoid my husband when he is anxious and wanting to, um, you know, have sex because he's feeling anxious about it, mm -hmm. about his addiction and wanting to fulfill that. So I have lots of questions, kind of sub questions from that, but I've been observing that. And I actually see these women come into my group and I, I see a lot more anxious attachment. So I'm wondering, I think, and they mislabel themselves, I think is avoidant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Brent, let's, uh, let's, let's back up and if it's okay, just for all of our listeners to hear and be on the same page, let's just talk about attachment theory for a minute and explain what that is. And then we can get into the kind of the nuance of your question. Is that okay? Okay. So, so attachment theory is really rooted in the work of John Bowlby, if people are interested, and then it's basically been connected to the recovery world ever since. And the idea is this, is, is that we as human beings Obviously, we're wired for connection and attachment. We can't really survive without connection and attachment. And what the research has shown is, is that when we are in a secure relationship, we know that the people that we're in the relationship with are people that we can trust, people that we can rely on, people that will be there for us. And, uh, and we also know who we are and we're able to trust ourselves. We're able to make our own decisions. We're able to go explore our world, knowing that we also have kind of a home base to return to in those trusting relationships that we have. And some of the interesting research that's come out is, is that they've identified different styles of attachment. And ideally we want to be in relationships that are called securely attached. And that's the first style of, of attachment. That's where I trust me. I know who I am. I trust you. I know you're going to be there for me. When, when there's a breach in that relationship, and this, this has been studied in infants and children, there's some really good work by Mary Ainsworth. If you want to go actually just look up the strange situation, they show videos of how they identify these attachment styles. But what happens is when that attachment gets kind of strained, we default sometimes into other styles of attachment. And one of the styles of attachment, the first, the first kind of strained style of attachment is called anxious attachment. And what anxious attachment is, is that when the relationship is now not quite feeling safe, I am relying on the other person to be my safe place because I don't know if I can trust myself. And if that other person hasn't proven to be trustworthy, then there's going to be stress, worry, and the child who is anxiously attached is the child that, you know, you take to daycare 
And when you drop them off, they're like clinging to your leg and you're like shaking them off. And then when you come back and pick them up, they like run over to you and they cling to you and they won't let you go. And they're all worried about you and, and they don't want to leave and play with their friends anymore because they're worried about being abandoned again. Um, the second Tyler, could you give some examples of like as adults, uh, like what would an anxiously attached adult look like? Yeah. So, so with anxious attachment, you hear people like when they come into our office, you'll hear one of the partners say, yeah, my partner is just like, so clingy. They, they can't be alone. I, they, they never give me any space to be by myself. Um, they're always asking questions. Can't take um, timeouts. They, they won't, they can't won't take, take timeouts. Space. Like when we have an argument, they're the one that's pursuing. So think the anxious person is the pursuer in the relationship, not just sexually, but in emotionally things as well. Yeah. We have to be um, good. Things have to be okay. We got to figure this out. If, it's gotta, if we're be... not okay. We're, this is too scary for me, basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the next, the next style of attachment is called the avoidant attachment style. And this is the person who through the relationship says, I don't want to have to rely on anybody else because I'm going to get burned. So I'm going to rely solely on myself. So, so I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to pull away. I'm going to isolate. And so a child in this research, if they, they get dropped off by their mom at daycare and when their mom comes back, their mom picks them, pick, pick up, picks them up and they're like turning their head away. And they're like, saying, I don't want anything to do with you. And they're kind of pushing away and they're going into like, they just want to go back into the, the room that they're in playing whatever they're playing. Um, and then there's a, then there's a mix that sometimes is called ambivalent attachment style or fearful attachment style, where it's the push pull, where it's like, don't you dare let me go, but I don't want to look at you and I don't want to talk to you and I don't want to have any communication with you. So, uh, that's kind of a mix between the anxious and the avoidant attachment. And, and what you'll see, and this is even without recovery, is, is that oftentimes in relationships as adults, we will partner up with somebody who tends to go to the other end of the spectrum of where we are in our strained attachment styles. So if I have a kind of a naturally anxious attachment style when things are strained, I'm, I'm likely to pair myself up with somebody who is maybe a little bit more avoidant in their strained attachment style. Which will trigger your anxiety. Which, yeah, which, which you can understand why we meet each other that way, because if I'm used to having to like, look for making sure everything's okay in a relationship, my partner who is coming from an avoidant place is going to like the fact that I'm attendant and that I'm present and that I'm want, I value the relationship at the same time that I value like her, her ability to stay solid. And what, what the avoidant looks like is confident and solid and and so we, we, we are attracted to that right up until we get into our own relationship. And then when stress starts to happen, it then those, it. it triggers those things and it becomes this cycle of really a pursue avoid thing. So the more I chase my wife to get things fixed, the more she feels overwhelmed and feels like she's pulling away. And the more she pulls away, the more I feel abandoned. And so I chase her more. And eventually we're playing this game of leapfrog emotionally, not wanting to let each other go, but not knowing how to actually communicate and be vulnerable with each other. But it's, but it's not always, you're right that they usually attract to the opposite, but not always. I mean, not, put, not always. Yeah. You put two anxious together or two avoidance together and you got, you got some interesting relational dynamics going on. Um, and so, yeah, um, it, you know, if you really stop and assess yourself and assess your, your partner in your relationship. As Tyler's talking, I'm sure you're saying, oh yeah, like I can totally see what we're dealing with here. I'm thinking of me and my wife and I'm like, oh yeah, I, I know where I'm at there and where she's at and, and, and our unhealthiness in our attachment. So it's a really fascinating, interesting, important 
thing to understand in your relationship so that you know how to navigate and, and try to try to get get to secure attachment. Yeah. So so one other thing to go along with this is that uh, emotion focused couples therapy is a model of therapy that I'm actually a really big fan of, but it's based in attachment theory. And one of the things in emotion focused couples therapy is, is that we're taught that when you get a brand new couple into therapy, sometimes the relationship, especially if there's been active addiction, sometimes the relationship will actually present at first backwards to what's typical. So, so if I'm the naturally of anxious one, by the time I get to therapy, I'm so burned out and tired that I've thrown my hands up and said, I'm out, I'm done. Um, and so I'm presenting as the avoidant one in the relationship, even though my natural default setting has, has been typically to be the anxious one. And so sometimes it takes a while to tease through which styles are actually in play um, before you can actually get to the real work of figuring out how to work towards secure attachment again. So I want to come back to Danielle and your question. So now that Tyler's kind of given us the background, all the clinical jargon, you know, the he's nerding out over there. Um, I'm now, nerding out too. I love it. <laughs> now, now let's get back to the, the question at hand here, because the question that I, I heard you say, Danielle, was, you know, sometimes women feel like they have attachment problems. They're avoiding attachment or whatever. But in reality, um, they're avoiding sex for a reason, right? So it, is it avoiding attachment or is it that betrayal trauma and for good reason, they're avoiding connection with their partner. Is that, is that what you were asking, Danielle? Absolutely. That, and that's what I feel, um, is happening is especially in early recovery. I, I have, I think I've heard that, um, their spouses will learn about avoidant attachment and they'll say, see, you're the, definitely the avoidant. They'll gaslight and with that. A little. Yeah. I think that happens sometimes, but, um, you know, I think the vulnerable, you know, because of betrayal trauma, we're, we're, we're trying to rebuild trust. We're trying to, um, you know, we're not ready to bounce back into 100% vulnerability and that's actually healthy. And I think maybe, um, when they hear that they're avoidant, they're thinking that, oh, I'm not being vulnerable or I'm not, I'm, I'm messed up and I need to, um, you know, be more open and have sex with my husband, but they have this natural, um, you know, feeling of this isn't safe. Their bodies are telling them, no, I don't, this doesn't feel right. And I think it's more betrayal trauma based versus their attachment style. So, so let's tease that out a little bit. What's the difference? What's the difference between um, like truly being an avoidant attachment person and actually listening to your gut and your truths and, and, and being aware that, Hey, I'm not safe. So I'm not going to go be vulnerable and intimate with somebody. What's the difference? They're asking me, I'm asking um, either one of you. <laughs> well, I think the avoidant means you're, you're wanting to pull away from intimacy. You're mm -hmm. not wanting to attach. You're going to, you're going to be running now. You do kind of want to be pursued. It's interesting how that works. Um, but yeah, I think it's going, it's not wanting to be intimate, which 
as we know, like addiction, they're attached to their addiction. So they're really not, um, and they're not wanting to show who they really are because they're afraid that they're going to be rejected. They're afraid they're going to be abandoned. So um, I think they are happier being off in this side, but the physical intimacy is something that they crave. It's connection. It feels like love to them, um, but they don't want to do the emotional and mental and intellectual intimacy to be able to get to the physical intimacy. And so it's confusing. Yeah. So it leaves the, it leaves them, it leaves the partner not feeling safe and not wanting to engage sexually. Right. Um, and then, and then, when the partner doesn't engage sexually, if the addict comes back and says, oh, you have avoidant attachment, there goes all your stuff, that's what you're doing. Um, what do you know? It doesn't really want them, it doesn't help them feel safer to want to connect sexually, you know? And so the, the, the difference really is an avoidant attachment, that's a defense mechanism to not being vulnerable, right? And, and, and usually that's coming from something long before the relationship even started. It's just, I don't like intimacy. I don't want to step into that. I want to play it safe. Um, I just don't want vulnerability. Um, having boundaries because I don't feel safe um, is acting in self-love. Um, and it is self-protection, but it's, a, it's, it's really showing up in your true authentic self as a vulnerable person. It might be more vulnerable for a betrayed um, a person with betrayed addict, uh, betrayal trauma to say, I'm sorry, but we can't have sex tonight because I'm not feeling it. I don't feel emotionally, spiritually connected to you in any way. That's her vulnerable self. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's very different than an avoidant attachment person who's just not trying to be vulnerable, vulnerable at all. I want to avoid any conflict. I want to avoid anything. So let me disconnect from this. Can you guys hear the the difference there? Yeah, I do. And Brandon, like I was just thinking about for our listeners here, I want to point out a couple of things really quickly is that we're talking about this example in the form of the betrayed being the one pulling away. Um, sometimes people, you know, our listeners are thinking like, oh, everyone who's the addict is the anxious one and everyone who's the betrayed is the, avoidant. it's not, it's not how it works. It's yeah. Like, or, or the addict's always yeah. the pursuant of sex and right. wanting that. Yeah. Not always. Yeah. No, no not, not always the case. So, so it could be totally, I mean, we've seen it the other way before where we've had betrayed partners who are pursuing even the sexual intimacy because they're so anxious and they don't want to lose and they want to control and they want to make, they want to feel safe, but the way they do it is through the pursuit instead of the withdrawal. So this is just one of the examples we're talking about, although it's not a blanket statement for every couple. Um, yeah. Now, now that's with, a good point. Yeah. No, that's no, go that's good to know because I've heard on a couple different podcasts where it's like generally they put the addict and the avoidant avoidant attachment. But then I hear on a different podcast, which, and then, and they're both ones that I love and they're both therapists that I think are fantastic where, but they say like, it's mostly the dynamic of the wife being avoidant and the addict being um, the anxious partner. So it's like, okay, well, which one is it? I'm confused. Yeah. I actually, I actually think that you could probably, like, if I were to go through my groups right now, men's and women's groups, um, it, there would be a mix of people who would identify with both. So, so this isn't exclusive to the betrayed or the addicted in terms of style of attachment. You can be addicted and have an avoidant style. You can be addicted yeah. and have an, an anxious style. But, but what it does is 
is exacerbate. So when trauma is present, when betrayal trauma is present, and when addiction is there, it exacerbates it. So you, you go even further in your defense mechanisms. So, so yes, addiction is an attachment disorder. It pushes them further into that avoidance or further into that anxiety. Um, and same thing with betrayal trauma, with the betrayed. So, so, so when the, the addict comes and gaslights and says, oh, there's your, there's your avoidant attachment, that might not be totally untrue, right? Um, but the addict's using it to gaslight, which isn't helpful. Um, but she might go further into that avoidance because that's her defense mechanism, right? Right. Um, I have a question about that. So I was wondering if like addiction being present actually can even flip-flop what our regular attachment style is. So like I've had women say, I actually feel that I'm like secure with most people, except for my relationship with my spouse, or mm -hmm. I type I'm typically anxious, but with my spouse, I'm, a, I'm more avoidant. Um, so it, is that true too? It does it depend on the relationship. Is your attachment style different with every single relationship, or do you kind of lean so, a different a way based on your childhood attachment? That's a good question. That's a good question. Yes. Um, I've seen, and this kind of goes to what I was saying earlier, I've seen people, especially this is what's interesting is even as the work starts to happen in recovery, when you have a partner that actually starts to set some real boundaries and those boundaries lead to, to maybe this, this is a betrayed wife. Maybe she starts to kind of like hold some space and pull away from things that she doesn't necessarily agree with. If she was the anxious one, to begin with, now she's starting to hold those boundaries. She starts to appear looking maybe more like the avoidant. And oftentimes the, the, the addicted partner now turns around and starts chasing back because remember, this is like a, this is like a thread of attachment that we're looking for. We don't want it to break. We just don't know how to be vulnerable in our communication with each other. And so it becomes this dance where people can actually play back and forth a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, that sometimes can happen. I think, I think too, though, like secure attachment can look like anxious attachment or avoidant attachment. Like if I, you know, if I get in a big fight with my wife and I'm like, look, and she's being really rude and, and I'm like, sorry, like I can't talk right now. That might be secure attachment showing up saying, this isn't working for me. I'll come back and we'll talk about this later, right? But I could get accused of, of being avoidant in that moment, right? Um, and so I think it's important to understand that, you know, whatever your partner's accusing you of doesn't mean you're anxious or avoidant. Um, you got to look within and say, okay, when there's something hard, whether I, ha I need to have a real boundary or whether I need to step up and create some connection, what's my natural tendency? Like, what, what do I do? How do I defend? And, and I think, to be honest with you, most of us fall in the anxious or the avoidant category. Um, there are some secure, att securely attached people, but to some degree, there's a continuum, right? And so for, for, like for me to say, I, I much more fall on the line of anxious than avoidant. Me too. Right? And I know that because my wife is more avoidant. And so when she's like shutting down and done and not wanting, and I'm like, come on, come on, let's like figure this out. Let's come on, come on, right? I know exactly what I'm doing. 
And for me to be able to stop and sit back and say, you know what, some space is okay right now. I'm okay, she's okay, we'll work this out, we'll come back to it. That's uncomfortable for me because that anxiety is coming up, right? Um, but that, but but that is more secure attachment. When I pull back and I say, "Yes, let's take our space." Now, for her, it can be really uncomfortable to come and say, "Let's initiate a dialogue and figure this out," right? Because her avoidance wants to just not do that. Um, and so, for both of us to work on that, we we gotta admit to some degree that we're unhealthy, right? Now you throw in sex addiction, you throw in betrayal trauma, and you you the foundation of every relationship is trust and safety. You throw those things in, those defense mechanisms then become like mainstays in the relationship. And it, what it does is it prevents full intimacy. It prevents a full connection. And then you feel loneliness, you feel this void, you feel like, man, I just can't quite get there with my partner. And, and you survive together, but you don't really feel good in that relationship. I think, I think this comes back to the core of what Danielle, you were asking at the beginning here, where Brandon's leading this is, um, is that when you, so, so another premise of emotion focused couples therapy, sorry, Brandon, I'm going to nerd out a little bit more. All right. <laughs> I don't okay. apologize. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Another premise of this, of this form of therapy, which I'm a really big fan of is, is that they'll say, don't actively do emotion focused couples therapy. If there's an active addiction present, yeah. because, because there is no ability to start looking towards leaning people together when there's no foundation of trust in place in the first place. So, so back to your question, it's like, trust has been obliterated. Now there's been a D day. There's this addiction. There's this attachment to this addiction that's going on. That's kind of like a third member of the family that still is in the house somehow. Um, when I start to work recovery, I, your question was, how do I know like where I'm, where I'm falling? I'll have this happen sometimes where I'll have like a betrayed partner come in about a, a year, year and a half, maybe two years into treatment. And they'll say, um, my husband's in really in recovery. I know he is. I can feel it. Um, I, I can see it. And I think I want to be done with treatment because I'm, I'm miserable. And I know that my job is probably to start leaning back in. And I don't know if I want to do it yet. That's a sign. Okay. There's some, maybe some avoidant attachment there because they're now seeing the facts as they are and saying, okay, there's nothing currently to be scared of other than what's happened in the past, that betrayal trauma that's happened. And and now I'm scared to lean in, even though I can see clearly that if we're going to progress in our relationship, I would need to start leaning in. And so with the emotion focused couples therapy, the avoider, the goal of the therapist is to help what they call avoider engagement, meaning leaning the avoider in a little bit, and then the anxious one softening. So pursuer softening. So if they can soften the pursuer and engage the avoider, and there's trust that's now being established that's how it's going to get fixed. And so if I, they're listening and going, well, am I avoidant or anxious? Well, if I'm the one that's constantly pursuing the discussion, there's a pretty good chance I might be, I might tend towards the anxious one. If I'm the one constantly avoiding, even though despite the facts saying, Hey, I think things are pretty safe right now. Uh, that's one way. That's one way to identify that. I, I coming back to kind of what something you're saying, Tyler. Um, and then I want to ask you something, Danielle. So, um, like addiction is so tricky 
because you can't quite tell sometimes. So like when, when there's a raging addiction going on, um, they might be avoidant attachment, but, or they might be anxiously attached, but they're doing all these avoiding behaviors because they don't want to be known and seen. There's so much secrecy there that, and they're getting, you know, their needs met in quotation marks, so to speak, um, in other ways. And so they're manipulating in all these ways. And it's really hard to know is, is that person's pain and trauma and fears, does it, does it show up more anxious or does it show up more avoidant? Because what they're doing is numbing out. They're just going and dealing with it over there. And then they're trying to keep their spouse around um, by not fully being seen, right? Um, but I want to ask you, Danielle, so if you don't mind, um, would you say you're more avoidant or anxious? I am definitely anxious. <laughs> you're more anxious. <laughs> Oh, I'm super, yeah, I'm hoping now, and this is something I'd love for you guys to answer later on in the podcast, um, or if we have time, but I'm hoping that I'm moving more towards secure. And I think that there's value. So I, I read the book attached. I think it's really valuable to, to, to read, um, if you're working recovery. And I also think also go into it with the caveat of like, don't completely sit in that label, um, I think being labeled anxious attachment for me, um, wasn't always helpful. Yes. So, but I definitely was, I mean, there's a thing called protest behavior. Um, so in a fight when, um, my spouse would basically never want to resolve a fight, like never want to resolve a, con even just a concern, um, they just disengage. I would pursue and even go walk, go into the drama triangle to try and get engagement to try and get, um, you know, resolution to what we're, what we're needing. But I definitely, I mean, my early, I mean, childhood attachment trauma with my parents was anxious. Um, I was always wanting to, I, or if they weren't okay, I wasn't okay. That was probably the easiest way that I could understand that I was anxious. If, if somebody else wasn't okay, I had to fix it. I felt like I had to fix it. It was not my responsibility, but I felt like I had to fix it. And, um, and I would, I was going to be anxious until that happened. And in a, in a conversation with, you know, um, people, I mean, it could be my boss, it could be, um, a friend, it could be definitely a family member. If they pulled away, I mean, I would freak out. Like I would just yeah. feel this inner turmoil. Um, and I didn't know how to give space until I learned about attachment, got mindful about it. And I learned that timeouts are good. And to, um, to take a timeout is really helpful. So. Okay. So Danielle, I want to, you, you kind of answered this a little bit. So let's say, because what I want to get to is if you have betrayal trauma mm -hmm. and you have this attachment style, um, how do you actually start to show up healthy as a securely attached person? So let's say you have this anxious attachment, you want resolution with your fights, you want, and let's say your, your partner is acting out and um, there's a lot of secrecy there and he's very avoidant and, and not wanting to resolve anything, okay? So as, as a healthy person, as a securely attached person, how might you show up rather than in that anxiety? So <laughs> in my anxiety, I would 
call him or text him a bajillion times. Mm -hmm. And I had to have a boundary and a bottom line with myself. If I was feeling like that, I knew he was out. I knew he was in addiction that I called once and I texted him once. And that was my boundary for me. Um, because that, that was showing up, not as continually pursuing. So that was one way that I kind of moved into healthy. Um, but you did voice like, Hey, something's not okay. You're being, you're not, you're not swinging the pendulum to avoidant. You're saying, Hey, I'm having these feelings. You you invited the conversation. Yeah. Yes. And I, it was actually hard for me because my voice got silenced, um, through, through my story, um, where bringing up anything was going to cause contention and confrontation and it was never going to be resolved. And there was, and I was going to feel crazy. It was always going to end up being, you know, something that was like, Oh, I do need to improve that. And I did. And it was really good. It was really good that I had certain things that I needed to work on. Um, but yeah, I, he was a great teacher. He was life was a great teacher. Um, And there's actually, there's some books about how you basically marry people to heal your childhood attachment wounds. And I actually think that's true. I think we we kind of do that. That's why that polarization happens. But um, yeah, so to speak out my concern and to say, but an anxious attachment, I would come up and I would be like, we have to resolve this now. I feel so anxious. I need you to, uh, can we have this discussion right now? And it wasn't a good time. Maybe he was yeah. tired. Maybe he's hungry. Maybe it was 11 o'clock at night. It wasn't good. So I would say, I have a concern that I would really like to share with you. When's a good time to do that? And, um, and then I, he would want to see if I forget. And I would just bring it up in a healthy way. Like, Hey, I still really like to have this discussion. Um, when is a good time? Mm-hmm. Good. And what, what if let's take this like to the furthest degree, what if his avoidance really shows up and he's like, he never, never gets back to it ever. Mm-hmm. What, like, what do then we do? What? Then what? <laughs> then you have to hold your boundaries and you have to love Good yourself. answer, Danielle. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's it. So, yeah. so w- but which is opposite of anxious attachment sometimes, because it's like, you know what? Um, I got to be honest with him and l- let him know this is not working for me. And in order for me to be safe in this relationship or safe right now, I'm going to need to detach some from him in his, in his rejection and avoidance of, of me and our relationship. Mm -hmm. Like I got to take some space and your, your anxiety, your anxiousness would say, I don't want to do that. Right. Like I, Mm -hmm. I don't, he's already, he's already running away. He's already running away and I'm supposed to stop and say, I'm not going to pursue anymore. I'm going to take care of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but that can be really terrifying, but that would be secure attachment mm-hmm. when it gets to and, that point. And I, um, I mean, I, this is where I really, really, really highly suggest to so many women that I talked to, I was like, you need a support system. That was the only way I survived. Yeah. Um, in my story, I actually ended up, I, I have, I am going through the process of divorce, because that is how my story played out, where um, it it was continued avoidance, and I wanted to try and get healthy, and there was some kind of back and forth where he was trying to choose whether whether or not recovery was for him, 
Um, but I had to kind of like, kind of actually acknowledge the reality of he's not meeting me where I'm at, where I want to be. I'm up here trying to pull him up to connection and that's not where he wants to be. So I need to meet him where he's at, where, which means that we're not going to be, have a married relationship anymore. Yeah. It gets to that, that question of compatibility. If you really face the reality of it and go that far with it, with where you're at, Danielle. But to have a support network, if you were, I felt like that was the biggest thing with anxious attachment. I had to get into a group. Mm -hmm. I had to have safe um, women to talk to about it, who most of the time it was very, very helpful if they had had their own recovery um, or if they had at least a story where they could understand and empathize and I didn't have judgment. So I had to have that in order to go and process through my anxious attachment because when I would want to pursue, I would call somebody instead and I would get the connection from somebody who is safe and, um, and not do these unhealthy behaviors that was going to cause disconnection in our relationship even more. So so, so Danielle, what you're illustrating there is actually part of the answer to what Brandon was asking about how to find good health there is, is that when you went to pursue connection with your husband, he happened to be in the space of not being able to connect because he would disappear into his shame or he had a void or whatever. Um, even though you desperately wanted the connection there, the conditions that he was showing up with weren't going to make that possible. So, so your intention was connection there, but it, the conditions illustrated that you'd have to set the boundaries differently. One way that I, that I, I sometimes try to help people frame this too, is instead of an all or nothing with the person, they're meeting that part of the person, the addict part of the person. And there's no sense in continuing the relationship with the addict part of the person. So you're inviting a different dialogue. If you're met with that addict part of the person, that's when the boundaries go. But then what you did is you actually went and pursued connection in healthy ways with people who you could trust. And so is, you, still, you still did the right thing by finding connection. It just happened to be with other relationships, even though you'd prefer to it have been with your husband. Yeah. So was, that was sorry. a secure way. That was a secure way to go about doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, that's why I, I just really highly suggest of you got to get in a group, you know, um, even if you're avoidant, I, I feel like you get into a group because what you need to do is, is do the opposite and start building intimacy and connection with safe people. So then you can start, you can do it in your marriage. You know, you kind of have to step, you have to do the opposite of your instinct. And that's really tough, yeah. really, really hard. And you have to be really mindful about it. I, I, uh, I want to come back to kind of the original question and just say it never works to accuse your partner of being avoidant attachment to try to get sex. Like it's just not a great way to, <laughs> to, to try to guilt them into really turns you know, me on. Have, uh, totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In fact, in fact, that's a very like obvious kind of example of gaslighting is let me, let me tell you how, cr how crazy and unhealthy you are. So then I can get my needs met and, and force you into, into doing things that you don't want to do, but then I get my needs met. And, and uh, yeah, doing that is a gaslight, it's a manipulation, and it's very unhealthy attachment. <laughs> and so, yeah, don't, don't uh, throw accusations out there for an agenda. Um, I think it's okay to have conversations with your partner about their attachment style and 
and uh, and they can hopefully talk to you about yours. And but even better, you can talk to them about yours, and they can talk to you about theirs. And it's like, yeah, you got this self awareness and self reflection going on. So. Um, and that's, yeah, how, that's how I actually brought it up when I was trying to still, you know, work through recovery and reach out was, Hey, I realized this thing about me where I've shown up. I've really, so this, when, when we're in a fight and I get, I start exploding and can, I will follow you around because I want to have this resolution. Mm-hmm. So embarrassing that I have to admit that, that I would just follow somebody around um, to try and get them when they're just like, I can't handle this. But um, I, I said, you know, I'm realizing this thing about me. I read this book. It was so helpful. And he, he engaged in that conversation, but it was because I was talking about myself. I wasn't saying, Hey, I read and y- this whole list of avoidant attachment. And do you know that, that you, you are <laughs> 95% of that was you now it was, I looked at, I brought it up in the way of like, I noticed this about myself and this is something I want to look at and change. Yeah. Much more productive. So, which by the way, like I have fallen on my face so many times. So it sounds like I have all these healthy conversations. It took me about a year to really get the verbiage down and start understanding how to move towards a more secure attachment, what to do when I felt anxious. Um, yeah, all that. So if I'm making myself sound like I, I, wow, like I know what I'm talking about. It's like, well, well education, education, but, the podcast, all that. It really, yeah. Is give yourself, give yourself some credit though, Danielle, you've done a lot of work and you've come a long ways and you know, it's, you're, you're moving toward divorce, which is, which is interesting. Um, and your husband, he might be on his own path and progressing in the way that he needs to. Um, it doesn't mean that you're failing. It, it might mean that you're succeeding and getting healthy and, and really moving forward. And so, yeah, so give yourself some credit. You do sound like you've done some hard work. Um, it sounds like you're really trying to understand betrayal trauma and attachment and all those things. So, so yeah, you do got it all together. You're awesome. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And that's something to say about it is um, by understanding about anxious attachment, um, you know, I, I feel like... Mm, you know, my former husband well, soon to be former husband. And I actually communicate really well because I did all this work, even though we're moving into divorce, we're able to communicate differently. Most, you know, because we did a little bit of work um, Mm -hmm. and because I worked a lot on myself. So the cool part is, is like, though it ended in divorce, I think we're communicating so differently than typically what people think divorce looks like. And um, when I can see when he's avoidant, um, you know, when I need to call about the kids and things and he doesn't answer my phone calls, I give him space. I know he'll come back around when he's ready. Um, but I don't have anxious anxiety about it. I just write down my thoughts, talk to somebody else, do, do all of my stuff, my work that I need to do. So it's cool that I'm still have, I'm, though I'm not in relationship with him in a marriage, I'm still going to be in a relationship with him in a divorce co-parenting. So I'm still needing these skills. So. Right. Absolutely. Beautiful, beautiful examples of, of really, you kind of, your examples sort of answered your question today, I think. Um, I know we're getting short on time here, Danielle. Are we leaving the waters muddier than when we started? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't think so, because I think you guys helped clear up a lot of, um, you know, 
of what early recovery when you're learning about attachment style and maybe when your spouse, maybe they're trying to get in a recovery and become sober when they're learning about that, what unhealthy looks like and what healthy looks like. And I also, I think it's great to not have, not to understand that an addict isn't always avoidant or anxious, that you've got these mixtures. It's really good. Well, and I think if anything, understand this. If you really want to work on attachment, the first step is to root out the addiction, is to remove the wedge. And so as, as you're listening to this, if you're like, oh, yeah, like I'm, our attachment is so, well, if you got an active addiction going on in, in your relationship, then you need to do the recovery work on that first and foremost. Mm -hmm. um, and once that's gone, then the, the, the partnership and the couples can really work on reattachment in a healthy way. I'm going to throw a curveball and maybe I know we don't have much time, but I've also seen it where when men are trying to get into recovery and they're trying to create safety for their wives, they get really anxious because they're going into, into a compliance place where they're, how are you feeling? What can I do to make you feel safe? And the, and the, the wife is like, oh my gosh, this is too close. Like, I'm not ready for this. So um, I've even seen it where it's like, maybe they were avoidant in their addiction, but while they're starting their recovery, the kind of pendulum, um, but into a compliance space. Which is, not which is not, not recovery, right. which is right. not the, the addiction still very present. The shame is still running the show. Right. And so that, yes, that is not actual building trust and safety so that you can attach in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. Yes, we see that all the time, Danielle. It drives me crazy, by the way. And that's like oh. a natural, that's a natural reaction to somebody coming. I think we have these natural reactions to that's not healthy. You know, that doesn't right. feel right. So we back off. We, we don't want to engage with that. And I think it's not because um, so much of like there's trust and issues and things, but it's just like, this doesn't feel right. We need to we should do a whole other that. episode on that. I know. From, a, from, from avoidant to compliant. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. Nara, yeah. I said, though we what, muddied the waters, we can tee it up for something else. Then, yeah, I, there I, there. I do want to add a caveat to that to say that when you've got someone who has been avoiding, but they also realize they want to lean in, it's going to look pretty messy. And yeah, so it's really, it's really about doing the work on both sides where the internal work of shame resiliency has to be being done so that I can show up and offer presence and strength to my partner instead of show up so that they won't be mad at me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so it's the internal work of, and this is on both sides of betrayal and, and addiction recovery, the inside work of knowing who I am is the work I have control over. And I've got to continually be doing that shame resiliency work so that in the relationship I can choose in when the conditions are safe and right. Tyler, save that for the next episode. Um, yes. <laughs> we got to wrap this up. Danielle, thank you again. It's been really good having you on. And uh, if anyone found this useful, please have the courage enough to share it to somebody who could use it. And we'll have a wonderful day. We'll talk to you guys later.